Hi. We're going to enjoy communion today at Kerwinsville Alliance. We do this the first Sunday of the month. When we do it that first Sunday of the month, we do it with other Alliance churches throughout the country. We take communion here at Kerwinsville Alliance with all the other people in the Alliance who take communion at their location. That's neat, taking it together with more people than are beside us. I was thinking this week, at the first Sunday of every month, we take communion at Kerwinsville Alliance. This time, because we cannot be gathered here, since we're safe at home, we will take communion as Kerwinsville Alliance together. So I would encourage you, if you haven't gotten your bread in your cup, go ahead and do that. Uh, You'll want to participate. If for any reason you feel like, I don't feel right about that, please don't do it. That's fine. No worries. I hope you'll enjoy the devotional that comes with this, and you'll sense God's presence regardless of how you're participating today. This is also Palm Sunday. It is the Sunday when we remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. They were anticipating a king doing this, and so make no mistake about it. He was coming as their king. I'd like to read to you 11 verses from Matthew 21. And so listen if you would, follow along if you'd like to, as I read these verses. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to the daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them and Jesus, for Jesus to sit on. A large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches down from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him. And those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now there's a couple of questions that I would like to just address, some things for us to think about. And the first question is, why the donkey? In fact, that's really the big question. Why the donkey? Why the ride on the donkey? And I asked some friends, I asked some peers, why the donkey this week, just to see what their answer would be. And the answer they gave was this. They said, well, it's to fulfill scripture. And indeed it is in Zechariah 9, toward the end of verse 9, it says, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, yeah, Jesus is riding this donkey into Jerusalem because the scripture says he would do that. But honestly, that just pushes the question back. Why did the scripture say he was going to do that? Just moves the question from why did Jesus ride a donkey back to why did Jesus say he was going to ride a donkey? Uh, Clear back through the prophet Jeremiah. It's a good question. There has to be some other answers to that question. I think another reason is to provide stability. Stability. That's the word I'm using for peace because he's coming as a king of peace. 
the king of Jerusalem, the king of Shalom. And as he comes this way, he is bringing stability. Zechariah, in the greater context of that text, goes on to say in verse 10 that he will proclaim peace to the nations. Peace to the nations. Wouldn't that be great? No war, no disagreement, no politics, just peace. He isn't coming in on a war horse, you understand. That is how a lot of kings rode into the city. But rather, Jesus is coming in on a donkey because he is there to provide stability and he is there to demonstrate humility. That verse 9 again in Zechariah says, See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. And then there's this word, the NIV translates it this way, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so you understand he's, he's coming in humility. He's not coming forcing submission. Rather, he's here to win hearts. It's fascinating. Great conquerors, like even Napoleon said, I don't have what Jesus had. Because Jesus was able to develop the, the allegiance of men. We would say the allegiance of people without raising a sword, without doing it by force, but doing it in humility. And Napoleon, I can remember reading him saying, uh, he's so much stronger than I, so much greater than I. Jesus comes on this donkey because he's demonstrating that kind of powerful humility as he comes. It kind of makes sense because in the Bible we read in Philippians 2 of Jesus that he was in very nature God, but did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Why the donkey? To fulfill scripture to provide stability or peace, to demonstrate humility. That's why the donkey. Well, there's one more reason. It's kind of an obscure reason, but I want you to give it some thought here. I would say he also took this ride on this donkey where they put their cloaks on the ground in front of him along with palm branches for the donkey to tread across. He took this to bring holiness By that, I mean he took this ride to get rid of evil. You remember at the start when I read in Matthew 21 in verse 8, it says, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. You think about that and and you think, wow, what does that even mean? Because we don't do that kind of thing. But that is what you would do to show honor for someone. That was rolling out the red carpet. There's a place in scripture where this happens with a very similar parallel. And that is in 2 Kings chapter 9. There's this evil ruler named Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Jezebel's name has become kind of of, uh, synonymous with evil in the minds of many people. Ahab and Jezebel are are ruling Israel and they're turning their hearts away from God and the things that they did were were horrendous. And God is preparing to bring an end to that and he has done so uh, in, in, in many ways as he's stepping up to this final elimination of the evil that they were perpetrating. 
says in 2 Kings 9.13, or 9 in general, that the man that, that God had in mind to, to finish this quest was a, a gentleman named Jehu. Jehu is known for being a fast driver. If you, my grandpa used to say, that guy drives like a Jehu. That just means he drives fast. And he, he went pretty fast in his chariot, the scripture says. Before he was king, um, he was anointed as king. Uh, Elisha had sent uh, uh, one of the sons of the prophets to anoint him as king of Israel to take care of the evil that was there and to bring holiness. And when he told those people with him, I've been anointed king, it says in verse 13 of 2 Kings 9, they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. Now I think about that parallel of the cloaks thing. And I think about the parallel between Jehu and Jesus. That maybe you could say, just as Jehu brought holiness by removing the evil worship of Baal, so Jesus brought holiness at the end of his ride. You know, he went from the donkey to the temple. He cleansed the temple. He went from the temple to the upper room where he celebrated the Lord's Supper, as we call it, Passover, with his disciples. He went from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed. He went from the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross of Calvary. And he went from Calvary to the tomb. And he did all of this to destroy evil and bring holiness. He did it so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin and released from our shame. He did it as the king to fulfill scripture, to provide a stability and a peace in our hearts, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to demonstrate humility that he does not strong arm us into the kingdom, but he loves us into the kingdom and to cleanse our hearts from evil and bring holiness to our very lives. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday, an awareness of this stability and his compassion and the holinesses that he brings. And that's what we want. When we come to communion and we examine ourselves, we take a moment to say, Lord, am I resting in your peace, stability? And Lord, am I an agent of your peace, an agent of a stability and shalom to the people I'm around. We come to communion and, and we, we think of the humility of Jesus. And we look at our own selves and say, do I have that compassionate humility toward others? Am I trying to roll with an iron fist? Or am I lowly? <laughs> Interacting with people in ways that glorify, that even imitate or emulate my Savior. We come to communion and we remember that this bread that represents his body and this cup that represents his blood, this is what makes us holy, not the bread and the cup, but his sacrifice is what makes us holy. It removes the pollution and the stain of sin from our lives. It eliminates the shame that comes with being human and being part of the human condition. We are washed by his blood given white robes to wear, holy garments, pure and clean. This is what we do when we celebrate communion.
we're going to do that. I'm going to ask a, an elder to pray for the bread and then one to pray for the cup. I've asked David and Josh to care for these two things. And so I'd like you to unite your heart with me as they lead in prayer. Let's pray. Good morning. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we stand before you this morning with grateful hearts. As we take these elements in remembrance of the sacrifice of your one and only Son on our behalf, we recognize and are thankful for the unending love you have for us. We give our hearts to you, Father, in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Now, if you would, take your portion. If you haven't done this before, you might make the mistake of taking a large portion. (laughs) All you need is a bit. It represents the body of him given for us, the Lord Jesus Christ, the body that hung on the cross in our place. How could we be so blessed? Let's take it together. And afterward, the scripture says that he took the cup. Let's pray a prayer of thanksgiving for the cup. Lord God, we thank you for this amazing gift. We thank you for your blood that was shed on our behalf. We did not deserve it. Not in the least bit, but you you desired to be with us. I ask God that you would wash us anew this morning. I pray this in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. That which I hold in my hands, you hold in your hands, represents the very blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blood that is poured out for the remission of our sins. You know that the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. But, (laughs) because of the shedding of Christ's blood, your sins and mine, as we trust in him, are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. The blood of Christ. Let us take it together. Would you bow your heart with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we are thankful for your great love for us. Father in heaven, we are thankful that you sent your son to do what we could not do, to pay a debt he did not owe, to take our guilt, to take our shame, to remove that which is evil, to destroy the works of the enemy, and to bring in that which is good, to give us his holiness, that our lights might shine. Spirit of God, thank you for communicating this to our heart. May you be honored in all we do, For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.